Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. So let's open up the Bible today. We're going to go to the book of Ephesians. We've been in the book of Ephesians now for, this will be our fourth week actually. But there's something about the book of Ephesians. Um, you know, if, if we had to go back six years and plant again, <clears throat> the first thing I'd do is I'd have a Bible study at my house and whoever showed up, we'd study the book of Ephesians. So we're gonna study today, starting off our seventh year, exactly what I'd be studying if this was our first service. We could literally spend a year in Ephesians chapter four. Spend several years in the book of Ephesians as a whole, but I wanna read today verse 11 through 16, and I wanna invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We wanna honor God's word and embrace the tradition of standing for his word, something that we do here that I actually enjoy quite a bit. So I want to invite you to read out loud with me as a family, verse 11, and the Bible said, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. Today, uh, I'm gonna do my best to give you a rallying cry on our sixth birthday of what it takes to build a strong church. All right? So, So now you know it's for the house. That's not one for YouTube, despite those who watch us on live stream. Hey, I love y'all on YouTube, by the way. What it takes to build a strong church. I almost titled the message, New Covenant Bodybuilding. (laughs) It's not too late to change it. Maybe that'll make it more clickable. I don't know. But what it takes to build, can can y'all flex with me one time? to build a strong, just flex on the devil one time. What it takes to build a strong church. Everybody say, I am a part of a strong church. Yeah, that's it. You ever see them football, football players from New Zealand, they do like hakas or something? That might be spiritual, so we shouldn't do it. But there's something about it that's very aggressive. Lord Jesus, we dedicate this church unto you once again. It was yours to begin with, God. 
forgive us if we ever pretended like it was ours because it belongs to you. You're the end all, you're the be all. You're the beginning, you're the end, you're the author, you're the finisher. And Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege of belonging to a house that you yourself step foot in every single Sunday. There's never a Sunday that goes by that you leave us forsaken, Lord, that you abandon us to ourselves and to our own strength, but you show up in this place consistently and faithfully, and you are enthroned upon the praises of your people. And God, we give you praise for six years. Lord, we thank you for being with us every step of the way, even when it got tough, Lord, even when we got hungry, God, even when we got confused, you showed up and you said, I am not the author of confusion but you set our feet up on solid ground. You are the rock that we cling to, mighty God, Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We love you for being the builder of the church and the builder of God's people. Keep on building, Lord. (laughs) Keep on building, God, and we'll stand here right with you and we'll watch you every step of the way and we'll say, keep on building. What a joy it is to be a part of it. What a joy it is to be a part of it. Thank you, Lord, and the church said, Amen. You can be seated. Tell your neighbor, say happy birthday. Can you believe it? Six years of doing this. Time flies when you're having fun. Y'all about to know Campbell family as they plant Anchor Nashville. When you guys planting? What's the date? Today. You're doing your team night tonight. Wow. Wow. Uh, man, honestly, I think it's, it's a prophetic, it's a prophetic declaration to you guys of being here on our birthday to know that, man, we even share in some sense of the word a birthday. So in Jesus name, so long as the Lord's okay with it, let us be twins in the spirit. You know, uh, somebody said, uh, wh- who said to remember the Titans thing? Strong side. What? Left side, strong side. May we be like that in the city of Nashville, man. You guys take the south, we'll take the east. In another season, we might do other things. Who knows, you know? But in Jesus' name, Lord, everybody say, bless. Blake. Emily. And anchor Nashville. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, man. In Jesus' name. You shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. So what we're going to do today is we're going to, uh, we're going to diagnose what a strong church looks like in accordance to Ephesians chapter four. And we're primarily going to look at just a couple of verses of scripture. I believe that's 12 and 13, but it really gives us a good diagnosis of what a strong New Testament church looks like and how they operate. And so I wanna dive right in. I previously in other services tried to recap some of what I talked about before, but I just wanna, I wanna dive right in. We've been chatting a bit about fivefold ministry and church government. And when church government functions rightly, the saints function rightly. Everybody say rightly. So what does that mean? When biblically qualified, healthy church government functions rightly, then the saints of God function rightly and they are equipped 
to do the work of the ministry so that we all collectively have the privilege of building up the church, capital C Church, the body of Christ. And we will continue to do that. And that's what I'm gonna get into a little bit today. We're gonna continue to do that until the body matches the head, all right? And that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about the fullness of the stature of Christ Jesus. Jesus's plan is to strengthen this local church body as to strengthen the global church body so that the body of Christ is built up in such a way that our maturity reflects the maturity of Christ who is the head of the church. If you've ever wondered, where are we going with this thing? Is it just an event that we show up to every week to do the exact same thing? to listen to an amazing band play and amazing vocalist sing and hopefully a somewhat amazing communicator in Jesus' name when he's eating his Wheaties that day and uh, give the Bible and, you know, is this the whole reason for church just to have a little shot in the arm every Sunday and be entertained every now and then? No, listen, God has a plan for his house. We are not coming in here just singing songs. We're not coming in here just giving good, uplifting TED Talks. We are here for a greater purpose. That purpose is eternal, and it is to build up the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, until the body reflects the head. Until we are a group of people with that kind of maturity operating in the Holy Spirit, both in our ministries and in our character. Can I get two good amens? Because it is not enough to be well-equipped for ministry and not be strong in our character. I think for too long, we've been too comfortable with people ministering in the spotlight that have yet to invite the light of the Holy Spirit onto their hearts, searching them like David and saying, purify me, God, create in me a clean heart. I refuse to be good at ministry and not be more powerful in my character. And let me tell you, you are a part of a church that values the internal more than the external. We don't care how gifted an individual is unless they are bigger on the inside than they are on the outside. There is no chance that they're going to be leading in our environment. I'm telling you guys the truth right now. Because we are functioning to the best of our ability in the grace of Jesus to try to be a biblical church. So when you diagnose what it looks like to be a strong church, you look at number one here is biblically qualified, healthy church leaders. Look at 2 Timothy and Titus for that job description. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Everybody say work. work. So one way that we unify is that we all engage in the work. One way that we unify as a church is we all choose to engage in the work. There's no work that's beneath me. There's no, there's no work that's beneath us. Because in a home, even if you're the dad, you still got to change the stinky diapers. Even in a home, if you're a mom, you know, you still got to mop the kitchen floor. And it's so funny how we step into church and all of a sudden we're above some of the common responsibilities of maintaining, maintaining a home as to produce a strong and a healthy family. That same stuff, guys, applies in the church. Nothing should be beneath any of us. 
We should all be willing to say, hey, look, I want to do the work of the ministry and I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it looks like. And that's number two, equipped saints actively doing the work of the ministry. What is ministry as defined by the Bible? It is Holy Spirit empowered service done with a voluntary attitude, right? You're not serving because I've asked you to. Maybe I did ask you, but the Holy Spirit breathed on the request and you felt the conviction of the Spirit and you said, I can no longer tolerate warming the bench when God has called me to get in the game and become a part of the work of the ministry in this place. So I'm gonna get involved. I'm gonna do something. I don't care what's, whatever's needed is what I'm gonna do. It's not about what I wanna do, it's about what's needed. So I'm gonna get involved and I'm gonna do it with a good spirit. I'm gonna do it with an excellent spirit. I'm gonna do it with a good attitude. Because ministry is not about your actions. Ministry is much more about your attitude than it is your actions. Because you, you, you can park cars with a cold heart. Right? It's like getting baptized. It's not the water that's magic. Right? It's the heart of repentance that we enter into the waters of baptism with. So we can do anything. And as long as we do it with a good spirit, the Lord will bless it. I'm telling you the truth. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I know I use like custodial things from time to time just because I think that's where everybody's mind goes to when it's like, I would do anything but that. Or how about kids? I would do anything but kids. I'm not called to kids. I want you to go down there and interview everybody who serves in kids from week to week and find out how many of them are called to kids. I can bet you it's only gonna be a fraction of the amount of people who serve. I don't change my daughter's diaper because I'm called to poopy diapers. I change her diaper because it's what's needed in the moment and I take personal responsibility for the strength and the health of the family. If we're gonna be unified, I'm gonna have to do my part. And if I don't do my part, you know what? Somebody's going to get on to me and his name is going to be Father God. So you're going to leave your wife to do all the work. You're never going to change any poopy diapers. You're never going to take out the trash. That's the kind of husband you're going to be. You're going to dishonor your bride like that. That's the kind of father you want to be. You want to set an example for your kids that you're just a lazy bum? Yes, Listen, I know the Lord speaks to me sometimes in a way it's a little punchy, but he knows how to get my attention and that's our relationship, okay? So don't worry about it. And that's the type of conviction that I pray that God would grip us with, that we would be intolerable of letting little work go by like, yeah, it's all right, somebody else will get it. That ain't no big deal. That ain't no big deal. No, every time we serve, we sow into the unity of the house. Every time, every time we serve, we sow into unity. Every single time we do, even just a little thing, it contributes to what God is doing. And in some way, it builds up the body. In some way, it builds up the body. And you have to trust the Holy Spirit, knowing that where he's positioned you to serve in this season, that it's exactly where he wants you to be. And even if you're not doing everything you want to do, but you are doing what needs to be done, you are actively building up the body. You are participating in a biblical prescription that Jesus uses to build up his church. So you should rejoice. Don't look at yourself like, oh, my responsibilities are so meager and I'm not actually important and nobody sees me. Listen, who cares? 
if a human being sees you, the eyes of God are upon your hands and your heart while you serve with a good spirit. Listen, you will get more blessed doing hidden things than you ever will doing visible things. I'm telling you the truth. It's the hidden stuff that brings about the blessings of God. What did he say? When you pray to me, don't stand on the street corners like the religious do, but go into your prayer closet, close the door, get in in secret. And then God, who is so good, will reward you out in the open. Well, I wanna be in public ministry. Well, you'll never be in public ministry before you're willing to be in hidden ministry, ever. So here's number three. An ongoing, collective, continual pursuit of unity. That's what it takes to build a strong church. An ongoing, everybody say ongoing. ongoing. Meaning that you can't give up. Look at your neighbor and say, don't give up. Continual, everybody say consistent. Yeah, we, we ain't shrinking back from it either. An ongoing, continual, collective. Everybody say, as one. Ooh. Yeah, remember that? Where's Seth? I need Seth right now. Tell him I love him. Text him right now. Um, tell him I needed him today. Tell him I needed him. Pastor needed you today. <clears throat> Allison hit on this last week and she gave us a list of when unity happens. Real quick, unity happens when we all do our part. Chapter four, verse one. Unity happens when we stay humble. Unity happens when we're gentle. Unity happens when we have patience. Unity happens when we love one another. And get this, verse three. Unity happens when we work hard for unity. It's when we work hard for unity. I wish that I could tell you that unity happens by accident. But it never happens by accident. And even in the case that it does, it lasts about three hours. Unity never happens by accident. Tell me, tell me when unity happens in your home by accident. No, it takes some intentionality to say, no, the two have become one. We're gonna be unified. It's not always the easiest thing, which is why the Bible teaches us we have to pursue unity if we're ever going to get unity. We've got to work hard, the Bible says, for unity if we ever want to have a unified community. Right? Even, even you look at the base word of community, you see unity right there in the middle of it. The type of community that Jesus wants to build through this house is a unified community. One heart, one soul. Ooh, yeah, y'all got it. One of the things about unity is that unity is a moving target. It's hard to hit consistently. <clears throat> All the married people in here said amen. Right? You're, you're, you're two people. Well, when you come to church, there's like a thousand people. You know what I mean? Like, get in unity. That is a supernatural sign and wonder. It is a biblical miracle that a church would be in unity with one heart and one soul. But that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. And that's exactly what we see the apostle Paul 
prescribing for the church at Ephesus. Listen, when we're unified, can't nothing stop us. I'm telling you the truth, church. When we're unified and we're willing to do anything because we don't care who gets the credit, nothing can stop us. When we all collectively come together and we say, Christ, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. None of us are fighting over who gets the kingdom, meaning who gets to be in charge. None of us are fighting over who gets to feel powerful. No, yours is the power. None of us are fighting over the glory. No, no, Jesus gets the glory. We can come together and be unified. And I promise you this, hell trembles at the sight of a unified local church. Because all of the spirit knows there is nothing that can stop a unified people. God knew it himself when he disrupted the building of the Tower of Babel, Babel, right? Those people were in the wrong spirit and yet they were building something significant. What could God's church do in the right spirit, building in unity? What could happen in East Nashville? What could happen in Nashville? What could happen in Tennessee? What could happen in the nations of the earth? If the church said, listen, I don't care who gets to do what, as long as we're involved in what the Holy Spirit is doing, sign me up because I've got to go. I've got to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Man, that, that, that's that unity that the enemy he can't stand. That's that unity that all of hell wars against because he, he knows, man, if those people ever get together, if they ever become one body, if they ever catch one heart, if they ever get one soul, if they stop exalting personal platforms over corporate platforms, if they'd stop caring who gets the credit and they all unify, man, you better get out of the way because something is about to happen. Somebody shout unity. unity. An ongoing, collective, continual pursuit of unity is what we must do. Amen. Unity doesn't happen by accident. Even if you strike the target in one season, as soon as you capture unity, I mean, that thing's like a mongoose, man. I ain't even never seen a mongoose. It's just an animal that popped into my head. It slips away, right? Like, that's the thing about unity is it's so elusive. Right? Like you catch it in one season and then God shifts the season on you. You're like, how are you going to do me like that, Lord? We know this on an individual basis. We don't often think about it from a corporate standpoint, but from an individual basis, I mean, think about it. Right as soon as you get in your sweet spot, the Holy Spirit shifts your season. Isn't that so annoying? Some people are like, I ain't going to acknowledge, I'm not going to admit to that, that that's annoying. But listen, it's because the Holy Spirit cares a lot more about your transformation than he does your temporary blessing. And it's, it's crazy how this works because it always happens. As soon as a church or a person captures the season accurately, the Holy Spirit then shifts the season, says, okay, you ready to move? No, I'm not ready to move. I just made it to where I wanted to be. So then the request, uh, it, it, the, the, question, it, the question begs the question. So you're going to get your identity from what you get to do? Or are you going to get your identity from who you're in relationship with? Because when you get your identity from your function, 
You're very hard-headed when it's time to switch seasons. No, I just got good at gathering manna. Lord, why would you switch up the way that you're feeding the people? See, every church has a diet, by the way. And I know that might seem crazy. I'm not talking about natural food. I'm talking about spiritual food. And if our preferences are so big that we cannot engage with the purposes of our church, anytime there's a new sermon series that we don't like, we'll get offended. I'm talking about the diet. I'm getting too ethereal at this point, aren't I? But you don't do the same work in the summer that you do in the winter. And you don't eat the same food that you eat in the spring that you do in the fall. Whenever the seasons shift, the type of work that you do changes. And whenever the seasons shift, the type of food that you ingest and digest, it changes. And so we have to have a willing spirit of unity to say, hey, look, I'm not married to a season. I'm married to the bridegroom King Jesus, and I'm in covenant with God's people. So whenever the Holy Spirit decides to shift the season and go in a different direction, I'm not going to put a stake in the ground and say, no, I'm going to go ahead and stay here because here's where I feel like I have the most control. I'm going to navigate with the Spirit, and I'm going to move forward with the church because I care more about our unity than I care about getting my way. Is this making sense to y'all? I know we're excited because it's our sixth birthday, but it's very important. I think prophetically that we talk about this because the seasons are shifting. The seasons are shifting. When, when, when the seasons shift, you always notice certain things begin to change. Obviously, you think about the fall. You think about the leaves changing colors. You think about them falling off the trees. When the spirit, you know, God uses the natural to communicate about the spirit. You guys know this. Amen. Yeah. We're a charismatic Pentecostal church. We love the word seasons, right? I mean, you ever talk to a charismatic, you're like, how you doing? I'm in a season. You know what I'm saying, right? And then you, you call them two weeks later, man, how you been? I'm in transition. You know, like spiritual people, we're always in a season or we're always in transition. Is it a good transition or a bad transition? I don't know yet. I just know I'm going into a new season and thank God because this season's been terrible. And sometimes we grieve the change of the seasons because we like summer and we don't want to go into fall. I'm not ready for the change. I'm not ready for three services. I can't serve three times in a row. That ain't going to happen. I ain't going to do it. I ain't talking to y'all because obviously this is the 12 p.m. So y'all been here all day. Some of y'all have been here all day. We're, we're talking to the 9 a.m. crew, you know. Just kidding. But one of the worst things we can do as a church is get married to a single season. That's one of the worst things that we can do as a church. When we get married to a season, we will, as a byproduct, will disrupt the unity. Because... I'm going to go long today, so just sit there, but don't play. Thank you, Antonio. Just sit there, but don't play yet. I've been waiting two services for this sermon. The other, the other two were too short. The other two were too short. So in the first, I was hurrying up. I was moving too fast. I said, oh, just wait to the 12th. 
Just wait till the 12. So I've been saving some of this up for y'all. But when you get married to a season and you say, I ain't going to move, you disrupt the unity because when the church moves and you don't, you break the unity. So it's important that all of us are willing to stay in step with the spirit as we submit ourselves to our eldership, who is biblically qualified and healthy, by the way, to say, I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit into the next. That's how we protect and that's how we preserve unity is by tracking with God in season and out of season. When a church body gets married to a single season, what they've done is they've chosen the date of their decline. Because what they do is they set up a monument around what God did rather than cling to the movement of the Holy Spirit of what God is actively doing. A church in unity, not just with one another, but also with the Spirit, is a church that says, we want to be engaged in what God is doing and saying, now. Now. Not what God used to do. Not what God once did. And listen, I don't have anything against the past and I don't have anything against testimony. We should commonly remember what God did so that we can be informed of what God does and what God's about to do. I don't have anything, I don't have any problems with the past. I don't have any problem with testimony. What I do have a problem with is camping out in one season when the Holy Spirit says, move. You ever notice this, that some saints, they never go beyond the music that they worship to when they had their last encounter? I, I really do believe this. I really do think sometimes we prefer the genre of worship that we had our last encounter to. We, we, we prefer the style of worship that we had our most notable encounter to. We prefer the set list, the songs that we worship to when the church was full. And now that the church is dwindling, we're still singing the same songs, hoping that the set list is gonna bring the people back to the house. But it was never the set list that brought people in and caused them to drink. It was always Christ Jesus who stood at the center of his own house and said, everybody who's thirsty, come unto me and drink and the leaders and the saints and the teams and the volunteers and the kids ministry and the parking lot and everybody said, hey, God is here and God is saying and we are submitting and we are following because we are a body that is in unity and our desire is to be congruent to our head. And that's what maturity looks like. That's what growing up looks like. And unfortunately, I think there are some churches that are so married to a season, they won't even redecorate because the furnishings remind them of when their church was alive. I hate to say that, but I think that that's the truth because I grew up going to church. Right? And when we get married to a season or we get married to our preferences, we'll have more of our opinions invested in the position of the piano. Because bless God, my grandmother donated the money that bought that piano. 
So y'all didn't grow up like I grew up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All the church kids in here said amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I can't believe they're going to change the color of the carpet. I can't believe they would do that. We took up a collection back in 1956. And I gave all that I could give. So what you telling me, woman of God, man of God, mother in the spirit, I don't know, I'm trying to be polite, is you got more of your identity invested in the color of this carpet than you do in the moving of the Holy Spirit and where Christ is leading his church. Come on, guys. Let's keep our preferences small. Let's keep our personal platforms low. Let's say, I don't care about the carpet. I mean, I care because y'all spill coffee on this carpet. Like, un- it's, an, it's unbelievable. We got lids for a reason. I'm, I'm joking because you know what? That's what it's there for, man. We want to use up the building. We want to use up the parking lot. We want to use up the PA. We want to use up everything we got. We want to use it for the glory of God to advance what Jesus is doing in our church. We don't want to hold nothing, nothing back. You know what keeps us in old seasons? Control. Listen, if you'd rather have control than you would a move of God, I think the Spirit will give it to you. And, and to be honest, it breaks my heart because I get the opportunity to talk to a lot of church leaders. And unfortunately, some people are steady protecting their own positions of privilege and power that they will not step back so that God can mobilize the church in a new way. And it's, the, it's, it's some of the most sad things I see happening in the church. And I pray to God in Jesus' name that we don't ever do that as legacy. I pray to God in Jesus' name that when the spirit is moving on young leaders, we, we promote those young leaders and we empower those young leaders and we encourage those young leaders and we equip those young leaders. And even before we all think they're ready, they get an opportunity to lead worship or they get opportunity to share a testimony or preach the gospel. Because when we have a mindset and a filter that says, I care more about the unity than the quality of the second song on a Sunday in February. Come on, it's going to be another song. It's going to be another set list. It's going to be another day. I don't, I don't want control as much as I do connection connection to what God is doing and connection to what God is saying. And church, this is why we need apostles and prophets. This is why we need the fivefold ministry. This is why one expression of the ministry of Christ just isn't enough. He wants all the expressions. That's why I know I can say that. But it's important that we have apostles and prophets. He said himself, you know, the foundation of the church is built on the 
uh, apostles and the prophets in Christ Jesus, who is the head. What do prophets do? Prophets sense the winds of change long before the congregation. And they begin to say, I don't know what I'm saying exactly, but I sense that the Holy Spirit is about to move. And I may not have a precise pinpointed destination of where he's taken the church, but I do think I have a, a vicinity. And so let me submit this and let me let you guys know that something's about to shift. And I don't know everything that it's going to change. And I don't know who's going to step into a new role. And I don't know who's going to step back. And I don't know who's going to step out. And I don't know what's going to change. And I don't know what, but I know the Holy Spirit is doing something. And so prophets, they begin to prophesy, sometimes with a lot of accuracy, sometimes with some uh, more, more generality. But, you know, we all prophesy in part. We all know in part. We prophesy in part. There's no prophet that's 100% accurate aside from Christ. And so they say, I'm sensing this is what we do. And then here's what apostles do. Apostles are builders. And so even it's like right at the moment you get comfortable is when apostles roll out blueprints. You're like, dude, we just moved into this house. I just got all the furniture set the exact way that I wanted. Yeah, I've already planned out our next house. I, I, listen, I have some friends who are apostles and they are exhausting. They're like, hey, let's build this. Let's build that. I, the prophet said, I sense prophetically, we got to build this. We're going here. We're going there. Let's move. And everybody's like, dude, God just answered my prayers and he put me in the position that I long for. You're going to have to change positions. I know in, in last season, you know, we needed you to play that role in this season. We need you to play this one. Listen, nobody's position is permanent. Everybody's role is going to change probably like 22 times. But who cares? We're not married to positions. We're married to a person. And his name is Jesus. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19 said, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And I don't think the prophet is just asking us, do we not discern it? But he's asking, will you not choose it? Will you not surrender? Will you not yield? Will you not let go of control? Will you say, God, build your house? Hey, it's three, it's three services this Sunday. Maybe, maybe it'll be two in another season because we'll have a bigger building because we're going to need a bigger building. But even saying that, some, some people are hearing that and they're like, oh God, we just got this one. Listen, don't shoot the messenger. You know what I mean? It's like the, Jesus is building his own house. He can do whatever he wants. We're, we're, we're following the cloud. We're following the fire. And it, today it's three services. And you know, uh, not for you guys, but for the nine and the 1030, it, it looks like a shorter service because we got to get everybody in and everybody out and minister to the kids and the parking lot. And we're doing, that's what it looks like today. And if you love it, just wait, there's coming a time you're going to hate it. And if you hate this, just wait, there's coming a time you're going to love it. Just stay unified. And here's what it leads to. This is number four, and I'm going to get you out of here. Because we got a Titans game on in a little bit. Is a mature church 
effectively expressing the fullness of Jesus. Let me, let me reiterate my title, what a strong church looks like. Ultimately, it looks like this, a mature church, effectively expressing the fullness of Jesus. Now, when I say the fullness of Jesus, am I talking about his character or his ministry? Both. A mature church expressing the fullness of Jesus, both his character and his ministry. Remember, you don't come to church just to be more saintly. That's part of it, but you also come to church to be a more effective minister. Because God wants to change the world through you too. And our church matures as each of us individually give ourselves to the consistent ongoing work of sanctification through the Holy Spirit in our lives. I know that's a big expensive biblical word, but essentially what it means is that none of us are finished masterpieces. All of us are under operation by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ. We all come to church as humble learners. We all come together as a body and we say, I don't got it all figured out. You don't got it all figured out. Nobody does, but I got a place and you got a peace. And when we come together and we all do our part and we fulfill our assignments and we do what God's ask us to do in this season, then we become a maturing body and we grow up as a community and we resemble that of our head who is King Jesus Christ. And that's what a strong church looks like. A church is never more mature than its membership. It's never more mature than its membership. Listen, a mature church is not an older church. Listen, a a mature church is not a church that has only 80-year-olds in it. That's not what a mature church is. And also, a mature church is not a big church. They must be so mature. Look how big they are. Maybe not. A mature church is a church that expresses day by day more and more of the ministry and the character of Jesus. That's what a maturing church looks like, and that's what we are endeavoring to become. And I don't know about you, but I say yes and amen to the process. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.